Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Shinichi Takatori, or Shin, founder and CEO of Cash, the largest digital bank in Japan, offering digital wallet, mobile payments, and credit card services. Launched in 2015, Cash has raised over $70 million in funding from backers, including all three major Japanese mega bank groups and VC investors, including Greenspring Associates and Broadhaven Capital Partners. Prior to Cash, Shin worked at Sumitomo Mitsui Banking Corporation and Kurt Salman Consulting. He graduated from Waseda University. And now let's listen to a fascinating conversation with Shinichi Takatori. Shin, thank you for joining us on the Wharton FinTech Podcast. We're so glad you are here joining us all the way from Tokyo, Japan. Can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your personal background? Right, Miguel, thanks for uh, intro and pretty excited about, you know, to be part of this. And uh, thanks for inviting me to the session. My name is Shin, based out in Tokyo and running a, you know, fintech startup, you know, called Cash. I myself coming from a banking and retail industry about a decade and did a corporate finance in one of the Japanese uh, commercial bank called SNBC. And later of that career, I was in a corporate strategy to open up the overseas branches and then did a partnership with the local banks. And later I moved on to the consulting field, mainly handled with uh, the retail digital shift type of projects. And I saw the intersection of the mobile capability and also how banking could be changed throughout the digital age, I came across to come up with this idea of building the entirely new banking experience from scratch. A little bit of my personal background is, uh, you know, growing up in a family where I, you know, it hosts all the exchange students from overseas. And every single year, my parents hosted all the exchange students from abroad. And I had been growing up in a family where I get questions, which I always took it for granted. So why don't Japanese people pay, you know, tips at the restaurants? Do you guys, you know, don't appreciate <laughs> the services and stuff like that? And it's a cultural difference, but, you know, I get trained to answer things, which I took it for granted, or a lot of people took it for granted in Japan. So, you know, maybe I, I came across often that what if this thing could happen and then, maybe people might be, you know, happier and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of environments that I, you know, grew up. Curious to know if any of your guests that your parents hosted, did they ever talk about entrepreneurship? Was this a concept that you got introduced through some foreign guests or was this something that you saw in Japan actually? And kind of that's what motivated you to try the entrepreneurial route. Right. So my mother's side, you know, has been running the business. And it's actually a, you know, sushi restaurants, a couple of sushi restaurants in Osaka and actually in Thailand. And more than, you know, more than 115 years now. So it's been a pretty long time. 
and I had always been fascinated by their passions to serve something that people smile and <laughs> so I always wanted to you know create something that you know I can serve better to the world and I thought a lot about what I you know what I should work on and I decided to go on bank because at the time of graduation of the university I didn't know what to do so instead of starting something new without knowing you know what I should work on why don't I just get into the industry where I get to expose to all the different industries and get to meet who are actually running it so and then <laughs> ironically or you know fortunately it turned out to be where I joined the company which is financial industries that I realized a lot of things could be improved and banking has been so important in history but at the same time oftentimes it has not lived up to the expectations you know from social and people so that's um yeah that's how it turned out to be do you think that the roles of banks the role of banks in Japan is perhaps mm-hmm. a little bit different than the role of banks in a place like the US or, or Europe. Right, so that's exactly which I noticed when I was in corporate strategy of the bank that I was opening up overseas branches and I submit what those branches work on. And it's surprisingly enough, what the banks can offer in each country are so different. And in Japan, that's also unique that payment credit card cannot be issued by banks and it's not allowed to do that and so the payment and the banking are totally separated and segregated in terms of experience and also the data so the scoring of consumer or the corporates have to be individually scored and it's not interrupted so um, yeah a lot of, a lot of things are happening differently throughout the context of how the industry grew. That makes sense. And and so take us through the very first days of cash, maybe even a little bit earlier, maybe by the time you decided to leave your job at SNBC, how did that conversation evolve and, and how did you actually decide to take the leap? So again, banks and payment and banking each companies in japan banks and car companies have been incentivized by from their perspectives and to, to me at that time and even now there, there's no one who is really serving the financial services for example consumer well-beings entirely so it's a for example if it's a car company then it's major revenues are coming from interest. So it's, they usually get incentivized to, you know, make consumers spend more. So, I mean, instead of like, you know, just making consumers spend more, I think we should also provide the tools that consumers can always be top of spending and how they can manage their spending in a way they really want. So I think that's also um, the things that we should, you know, we want to work on as well. I think at the very first timing of the foundation, yeah, I started the company by myself. So entire journey started, you know, pretty much all by myself after the consulting experience. 
And, and how did you recruit your initial team? Did you focus entirely on local talent, Japanese local talent, or did you consider maybe having a, a, an international team? Surprisingly enough, in, initial teams are all non-Japanese, to be honest. And a lot of you know, my friends helped me out on voluntary basis on weekends and stuff like that. But you know, the main teams that worked on the, this initiatives are like foreigners. <laughs> and um, I went into a whole bunch of um, the gatherings of engineers and designers. I even posted the ads on Craigslist and which turned out to be the first hire, you know, through that channel, <laughs> surprisingly. But it's, I don't know, it's just happened to be that way. But I kind of sense that at that time, those people are more likely to be jumping on stuff, like, you know, just pretty much right away, as soon as they feel that's interesting and that has to be happening. <laughs> and uh, So, uh, yeah, that turned out to be all foreigners, American and Australian. Interesting. So you started by yourself. How big is the company today? Right now, at the size of 85 people around-ish. Yeah, I founded the company in 2015. So it's been around five years now. Got it. And are the products that you started with the same products that you have today? Can you tell us a little bit more about the specific products that you're offering to your clients? Right. So what we offer is a what people sometimes call a challenger banks or banking. And we have full stack banking technologies underneath. Throughout my experience in banking, I came to realize it's not only the surface level to create the better UI and UX banking services, but it has to be also worked on underlying technologies. Otherwise, there's gonna be a lot of limitations about the flexibility of the experience and limitations of what we can offer in data. So not only we work on actual mobile app experience, but rather we have built entire processing and money transfer system and technologies from scratch. And that, that's uh, one of the very unique characteristics of the company. So to build that capabilities, we have worked on payment processing part first. And in Japan, this is also surprising, uh, debit card market is pretty much 1% of the entire card payments. And it's usually credit card you know, markets when you call it payment cards. It has a whole bunch of stories behind it. But um, so because of that history, when you swipe the card at the restaurants, you don't see any pending data or real-time data at all for that transactions. And around a week later, when you go onto the website, sometimes shows up and sometimes takes, you know, 10 days to show up. So you never know what's happening with your money right now, how much exactly you are spending. So that has been one of the factors that the penetration of the cashless has been very, very low as compared to the other developed world, which is equivalent of like less than 20% now of the entire payment has been through car payments. And more than the 60%, rest is cash. Pretty much, yes. Uh, wow. More than 60%, I would say 65% even are handled by cash, starting with C. Wow. Do you think the fact that um, Japan is such a safe place with low criminality, do you think mm -hmm. that affects also people's uh, willingness 
to carry a lot of cash as they typically do in, in Japan? I think that that could be one of the reasons, I think. Um, and also because of their technologies print the money at the low cost in early days, I wouldn't say not anymore that much, but I think that has helped the governments and countries to continue using the cash and distribute and collect you know, at the local, much lower cost than other countries at that time. I think that, that could be one of the reasons, I think. Got it. And, and so tell us about some of the adoption numbers. How would you compare the early adopters, your first clients versus now and, and how many clients do you have today? Right. So we have been offering this, the consumer facing wallet services called cash and on a mobile basis, iOS and Android for around three years now. So launched the first product in April 2017, and which has been used by, as you, as you mentioned, early adopters, mainly like 20s and 30s, uh, living in urban cities, mainly like, you know, Tokyo and metropolitan areas. So I think they have the capability of money transfer and also the payment. And the payment, we partner with Visa International. So we issue a Visa card in the mobile wallet and as soon as the consumer or the user top up the money in the wallet, they can either transfer the money or make this, you know, purchases visa merchants by using the cars we issue. So because it can be instant notifications, real-time notifications of the transactions and real-time reflection of the timelines, how much you're exactly spending, that's been one of the keys to customer adoptions. And because that we have a capability of processing of the payments and transfers, we don't have any other outsourcing costs to run the business. So we're very good positions in terms of unit economics. And we're able to offer incentives for each payments, which has been a 1% of the payment volume. And uh, we're getting the new license pretty soon to be more digging the banking field and also at the same time on the macro level, direct deposits. This is actually a very interesting initiatives in Japan that a there's gonna be a big regulation change that direct deposits can be happening to cash wallet directly without the banking access. So it's um, the employer can essentially, you know, funds the people, employees' salaries directly to cash app if employees, you know, claim that. That would be a major step in the right direction for challenger banks. Do you have a relationship with the financial regulator? Obviously, yes. Since the foundation of the company, pretty much, I had been served board of directors, the FinTech Association of Japan, and which is the, the entire group of institutions and also the startups, the FinTech startups. And um, which was aimed for developing innovative initiatives in financial you know, sector industries. So we often uh, had a close dialogue with the FSA and METI, the other regulators in economic and exports. We, we had a very good relationship. We're one of the early fintech startups in Japan that has been challenging consumer facing to change banking and payment scenes. I personally also have the good relationship with them as well. 
and also us uh, uh, recently the company hires uh, one of my friends and also used to work at the FSA and has been the legal lawyer of this domain and he's going to be a, a strong team as well. Got it. Got it. Now let's talk a little bit about company culture. That's a topic mm-hmm. that we'd like to talk about in the podcast. So did you set out to have a specific company culture from day one? And if so, how has it evolved over time? There's the argument that culture changes every time a company doubles in size and you've mm-hmm. been through several of those cycles already. We will be super interested to hear more about this. There's a few elements to it. Very Since the very early on from the foundation of the company, I always want this company to be a lifestyle services and company instead of financial institutions, which is, we are financial institutions, but uh, what we essentially offer is a lifestyle services that wish for a people's well-beings and financial success or developments. And that's essentially what the you know banking can offer. So instead of changing for accuracy of the 100%, make mistakes and just grow fast. So I, I think that's a basic nature of the startup anyways, but FinTech services often tends to be regulated, you know, in a lot of scopes and sometimes fall into, ended up being pretty much the same culture of like banks or, you know, other FIs. But then it's our challenge continues to be very like a startup mindset and grow fast and just make things happen by, you know, challenging a lot. I think that's the basic culture I want to maintain. I often tell other, you know, recruiting interviews that it's, we are lifestyle services. And instead of thinking about we're a fintech, that's a culture we want to create and continue to have that. And, and that's certainly different than your typical, for example, Japanese bank corporate culture. Has it been challenging to recruit people who are, both have experience in the financial world, but also are aligned with this mentality? I think what has helped Cash's journey is that it's pretty much taking for granted that banking services cannot be really changed and it's it's almost like infrastructure but at the same time what if that can be changed and that can be improved then that's like a, a little bit easier for, for people to feel that's the future should hold <laughs> so as soon as the potential candidates or you know employees can feel that could be happening it's usually oftentimes shared vision and usually the passions that you know that should always happen if we can really nail to make that happen. Uh, this has clearly resonated also with the banks themselves in Japan, right? As they are some of your investors, is that correct? Yeah, we have been invested by three major, all the mega banks, you know, groups, uh, luckily from early days. And um, yeah, I think one of the big reasons is that not only we work on the banking experience side or business offerings, but at the same time, we work on the banking infrastructure that handles payment and banking, money transfers. And Japanese banks, or even outside of Japan, they rely on the basic financial infrastructures that you know, gets on 
so it, it's not their you know proprietary technologies or a system that they have built so if we can just come up and offer a much better infrastructure that those banks can even use and leverage and that, that's also beneficial for them too and again payment cannot be really handled by you know banks and money transfer side it tends to be usually corporate money transfers or much larger ticket size of the transactions that usually you know people use for money transfer in japan but then what we see is like more like micro consumption or like payments of peer-to-peer so we're not taking the shares or like you know just a part of what the banks has been offering but then we're compensating the areas that are handled by actual cash starting with c and that's going to be digitized so that's the role that I explained to the banks when, when they became the investors. That makes actually a lot of sense. So let's talk a little bit about um, obviously the topic in everyone's minds and it's the COVID-19 crisis, mm-hmm. right? How has it impacted uh, your company, uh, but also the industry widely? Right, so it has both effects and Obviously, how we work in the office or at the outside of the office has been drastically impacted, and we have been on a full remote for a couple of months now. And then in terms of business activities, though, it has an impact, but for us, it's pretty positive that the, the number of payments and payment volume has been growing as usual or even you know more thanks to the recent launch of the Apple Pay or other initiatives. But the breakdown of the payments, when you look at, it's a visa payments that can be happening either uh, offline transactions or online you know, purchases. And as you can tell, obviously, that the share of the online commerce is historically high. So it's a breakdown of the online merchants are you know, getting much higher. And in terms of the industry itself impacts of course, all the restaurants and other you know, tourists and inbound activities had been pretty moderate and impacted. But of course, it has the side effects and that can come a little bit later. But we, we haven't seen that much of impact as of today, just because a lot of consumers or the users of the cash app have been using more like a daily transactions, you know, convenience stores and supermarkets and dining out with the friends and you know dinners of course that activities has been moderate but um you know more like a purchase of the daily essentials and uh, usual daily activities so it's um it would be limited to a certain extent i think understood understood and, and so tell us a little bit about um, how do you envision the road ahead for cash right um, where where do you see yourself uh, you know, in a few years from now. Yeah, we should certainly grow uh, this banking initiatives within within Japan. And later that could be expanded to overseas. And payment and money transfer are the two cores of banking. But we could always want to offer the support when the people need extra money or they want to, you know, manage their money much better. So not only the payments and money transfers, we envision to offer lending and micro consumptions of other financial services. It could be insurance and it could be money management. What if 
those who have never done investments or the insurance contracts, if they can just get, if they can get insured at the cost of $1 for three hours of the flight, for example, and by a few taps, that could always change their lifestyle or how they think about their life potentially. And same goes to the investments. So I think we could be always the gateway of microconsumption of payment and money transfer as well, obviously, but other financial activities. And after this financial activities realm, it could always be integrated with the external, you know, third-party services, for example, voice banking. And, you know, we could always integrate with that Internet of Things, you know, people so that interaction of banking could be changed. For example, if you speak something to Alexa and then they can handle everything throughout all that accounts, they can always make transfers, you know, by saying, please send, you know, a dollar to my friend. <laughs> and so... Making that transaction is the first step, but I think after a certain time, we could always serve better when they have questions or issues that that they have. So not only we're going to be the agent to make the transactions that consumers already want, we could always be a partner to serve better in the situation they need. Through that activities, we want to be widespread banking services in Japan, but then we have this uh, infrastructure layer, you know, technologies. So I think our vision is to create the new culture for money by creating the new money infrastructure in Japan. So a lot of funding goes into the restaurants or the activities under the circumstance of the COVID-19. And I think if that can be more developed and simplified throughout the concept of the new type of accounts, with the much cheaper and easier you know, money transfer, which we try to offer, I think the fundraising activities for those people or even the organization would be drastically changed and that can be much better improved. So that's what we essentially want to offer. COVID-19 you know, happened after I founded the company, but at the time of the foundation, I envisioned the future that those people who are doing creative work or anything that people really want to support, the money circulation of that activity can be changed. And for example, when you look at the paintings, for example, if you really move to that, then you can just tip in or send a support of some dollars, for example. So I think that that kind of money exchange or the value exchange of peer-to-peer, the real-time, you know, as a transaction, I think that that can be very powerful and also change the world, you know, to the better place. And and how about the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Japan? Uh, do you also envision uh, for it to grow and, and continue evolving? Yes, as compared to the time that I founded the company in 2015 and now, it's very different. So startup ecosystem has been growing at a very fast pace. That said, though, the ecosystem or the speed itself is a is smaller and slower as compared to, obviously, the U.S. or the elsewhere in Asia or Europe. So it's... Um, one of the issues stands in that the growth capital from the investment side has been pretty limited. It's changing a bit. 
So the capital investments towards this ecosystem is not that big as compared to the size of the economy itself. And so that's the challenge that if if the company can raise capitals enough to fund or operate in the pace that they want to grow. That's one of the big challenge in Japan. As you can obviously tell, you know, having experience working at Mitsubishi as well. Japan has been considered to be a pretty unique country indeed, which is, you know, attracting the global investments from overseas has been pretty challenging as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, what would your advice be to future or aspiring Japanese entrepreneurs, right? So those uh, men and women who are considering, you know, launching that idea, what would your advice be? You know, because you, you actually have a pretty unique point of view. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure you, you have inspired some and then you will continue. And I'm sure they would love to hear your advice. I think one of the keys is to embrace the diversity, right? So I think Japan has a very strong culture. And in that sense, we have specific way of doing things. So flip side of the coin is the diverse way of doing things might also be something people really want. And of course, embracing the culture is also important, but at the same time, there could always be alternatives to do things differently. It goes same with the funding as well. If the size of the economy is pretty big, so the market opportunity is large, if we can push things at the rapid you know growth just like you know payment market as well the penetration of the cash has been super low as compared to the developed worlds and if we can just flip that and then make the shift then upside opportunity of the market is in, in humongous so i think let's try to see japan is a follow opportunity and also a lot of areas which has not been diverse in a way that the business or even the services can offer. Yeah, and then Japan it, it is becoming the nation that embraces entrepreneurship. Back then, you know, when you fail as entrepreneurs, then there's not going to be a lot of bright future <laughs> after that career. So, but but it's changing. And I, I think start first is also important thing. Once you start, a lot of things you start to see differently. And I think, you know, without stepping in to the actual stuff, then there's an often case that you don't really see different scenery. And once you start, a lot of people around you would support. So I think that that's the experience that I got, you know, at the early days. And what I could do to give back that, you know, experience is grow much bigger and then uh, uh, become the service that, that the consumers or the people really, really love it. Hopefully they, they could be there the user of the services and serve better. That's excellent. That's I think that's a a really good note to end on. Shin, we're we're very glad you you joined us. Uh, you are certainly an agent of change in Japan for the Japanese economy. So, you know, we look forward to seeing all the great things that you will continue to build. Thank you so much, Miguel, for the you know invites and really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you, Shane. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. 
You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.